0: Amen. Thank you. Let's stay standing for our opening prayer. But as I share with you all last week, we're going to pray the Shema, which is an ancient traditional prayer based out of Deuteronomy. And so Jesus was asked, teacher, which is the greatest of all the commandments? And this was Jesus' response. Jesus answered, the most important commandment is this. And we all shall say, listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no command greater than these. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are here in your presence. We thank you for your word. We ask, Holy Spirit, you would speak to us. Bring encouragement, strength, comfort, healing, conviction. May my words be only your words. And glorify your name, Lord Jesus. And Father, we ask all these things in his precious name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. All right, I've decided I'm going to take a seat today. Worked out in the yard all day yesterday, so I'm a little tired. We have started a new sermon series last week, as you've seen, called Influence. And it's a discipleship series. And one of the focuses is on just influencing the next generation. So regardless, if you have kids, don't have kids. Some of you I know have kids, have grandkids, have great grandkids. But regardless, all of us are commanded to make disciples. Make disciples of those who are in our oikos, our family unit. If you're single, that's your roommates, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, those in your small group. Obviously, for those of us who have kids, children, grandchildren, it's those as well. But one of my questions is this Who is influencing you and who are you influencing? There's a couple things, just there are resources for all of us. You can find them in our bulletin. So if you text 623-623 and then write bulletin under there, there is a church survey that I would love for you guys to fill out. It's a discipleship survey. It's got a lot of simple questions. I've already done it. It took me maybe five, 10 minutes. Uh, You know, it's anonymous. So, you know, we're not going to figure it out. And there's no state secrets in there. So we're not going to require any blood samples or anything like that. But I'd love for all of us to fill out that survey. The other... Part of our website that I want to draw your attention to is just it's called Influence, and it's based off of this sermon series. And there are tons of resources that you can just go to our website that do Bible studies, small group studies. Also, if you've got little kids, it's got a lot of uh, resources just to do family devotions with your children, with your roommates. Lauren Jones, I know, has actual physical packets of devotions for little bitty kids, for two and three-year-olds. But sometimes I think the 20, 30, 40, and 80-year-olds probably ought to take one of those packets home as well, too. But they're out on our welcome desk. You can take those as well. But you can text here, just our family resources. Here's the website right there. Go to it. Check it out. Because I know there's a lot of us, you know, we open the Bible and we're like, I really don't know where I should begin. Where should I start? And so we play Russian roulette sometimes with our devotions. Ah, And we open up. Oh, there we go. Good. And then the next week we might be like, I really don't know where. We open up. And in reality, we feel guilty sometimes because we feel like we don't read the Bible like we should. We don't have family devotions like we should. And we almost die of the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. I should have done that. I could have done that. I would have done that. And all of those voices are from the evil one. We will never measure up. That's why we need to trust in the presence, power, and grace of Jesus always. And that's actually what we're going to look at today. So before we open up, back up to Deuteronomy chapter 7, I have a question for you. Who here has seen the movie, The Lion King? The cartoon came out about 20, 25 years ago. Oh, okay. If you haven't seen it, it's an awesome movie. I love it. Haven't seen it in a long time. I'm addicted to TV, so my wife is trying to help me get off of the TV addiction. But I love Lion King. I mean, I just love the whole story. If you don't know the story, I'm just going to ruin it for you right now. There's this new lion cub. He's born. He's going to be the next king. And as a little cub, as he grows up, he has an evil uncle who tricks both him and his father, who is king of the jungle. And this little lion, this little lion cub, his father tragically dies. And the uncle convinces this little lion cub, he died because it was all your fault. So this little lion king, he runs out into the wilderness across the desert and he grows up. He forgot his identity of who he was. His father died. His evil uncle convinced him that it was his fault. So he fled and he grew up being raised by a warthog and I think a meerkat. Now this is all a cartoon, okay? But the message is powerful. He forgot who he was. We all have an identity. What is your identity? What is your identity? What is my identity? If you watch the news today, if you watch commercials they are preaching and teaching identity. But to what
1: and to whom and for whom?
0: What is our identity? I won't ruin the rest of the movie, The Lion King. It's worth the watch if you haven't seen it yet. But this monkey, I can't remember, baboon, confronts this lion who has now grown up. And he reminds him, and he says, remember
1: who you are.
0: Who are you? Right here, Deuteronomy chapter 7. And I'm going to invite everybody to stand up again. We're going to do a little bit of exercise. If you can't stand, I totally understand. Just no dessert for you at the buffet today. Okay, no, I'm just teasing. I'm totally teasing. Right here, Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting in verse 6. And Theron, thank you for reading it. I'm not rereading it because you did a bad job. I just love reading God's word. Deuteronomy seven, starting in verse six, right here. For you are a holy people belonging to the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord had in his heart, had his heart, sorry. The Lord had his heart set on you and he chose you, not because you were more numerous than all the peoples, you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your fathers, he brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now that the Lord know that the Lord, your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commands he directly pays back and destroys those who hate him. He will not hesitate to pay back directly the one who hates him. So keep the command, the statutes and ordinances that I'm giving you to follow today. Let's be seated. Really quick, I want to give a little bit of context to what's going on. Moses wrote, through the inspiration of Holy Spirit, the book of Deuteronomy. He wrote this book while they were in the desert. If you know the story, Israel was in Egypt for over 400 years as slaves in horrific slavery, and the king of Egypt was committing uh, genocide upon every first male who was born, every male who was born. Moses grew up as an adopted son of Pharaoh. He then fled out into the desert because he killed an Egyptian, and 40 years later, when Moses himself was 80 years old, God called him back to Egypt to rescue his people. And through signs and wonders, God delivered his people from over 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and he brought them out of Egypt. He rescued them. As it says here, he redeemed him with a strong and mighty hand. They traveled up to the promised land, and they were going to enter within months. But the Israelites refused to believe God and obey him. So they did not believe, and they did not obey. And so for 40 years, as a consequence of disobedience, They wandered the desert of there in Sinai until the generation that were grown adults, until they had all died. And it was during the time in the desert that God gave the Ten Commandments and he reestablished the covenant that he had made with Abraham, who is their ancestor, the father of the Jews. And then God downloaded what we know as Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers in Deuteronomy, he downloaded that to the people and Moses wrote it all down. And after those 40 years of wandering in the desert, they head back up to the promised land. And God had already told Moses, you will not lead them into the promised land. Your assistant Joshua will. And right here in verse one through verse five, and we're not going to read it. There are some hard stuff if you read those verses. And I know 50% of you are going to do that right now. Where God commands his rights. when you go in, destroy everything, kill everyone, men, women, children, do not make a covenant with any of these people. Do not intermarry with these people, destroy everything of their religious practices and the religions that they have. That's hard stuff. So does that mean that God is against interracial marriage? Absolutely not. Is God in favor of ethnic, ethnic cleansing? Absolutely not. Those nations that inhabited Canaan at that time were horrific, sinful, evil people. And one of the things that we have a problem with in our 21st century right now is we assume and we believe that, in essence, people are good. Deep down in the core, people are good. No, we're not. We are evil to the core. We are sinners, we are dead in our sin and in our transgressions. Now, the other biblical truth is we are of incredible value because God has created us in his image and every human, every life is of infinite, eternal value because we're created in God's image and Jesus shed his precious blood for every human on this planet. And that is a biblical tension that we have to embrace both. As humans, we are born dead into our sin. We are rotten to the core like a rotten tomato at the bottom of the barrel. Evil, no one is good. No one does good. No one seeks God. That is scripture. And yet we are so precious and our heavenly father's sight first and foremost because he created us and number 2 Jesus died for us and those are two tensions that we have to hold both together god has every right to judge anyone and everyone when he wants to and he is the perfect
1: righteous just god and he owes no one Anything. So verse 1 through 5 can be very hard. But God was judging those
0: nations. He had every right to. They were evil. And he was using his people to do it. And he knew that the task that was lying before the people of Israel the task to go into the promised land and to exterminate and destroy those nations. There would be battles. There would be wars. There would be loss. There would be difficulties. There would be trials, tribulations, and temptations. There would be questions. There would be doubt.
1: There would be suffering. It would be extremely hard
0: for God's people. God knew it. And that's why he set verse seven before them. He was reminding them here, and we've read it twice already, but look at what God says in verse seven. The Lord had his heart set on you, and he chose you. Have you ever been chosen to be part of a team? Have you ever not been chosen? I'll never forget. I was up here. I was in fifth grade. I was going to David Lipscomb basketball camp in the summer. And my dream was to be a professional basketball player. And I was there all week. And Don Meyer was the coach there. He's one of the greatest basketball coaches ever. And I wanted to play for Don Meyer. And I was only 10 years old. And they would always have a professional athlete come or one of those college All-Americans come for the week and be there. And Sam Bowie, who is seven foot one, he played for the University of Kentucky. And I was a huge Kentucky fan at the time. Sorry, Angela, forgive me, please. Portia, forgive me. And he was there. And in one of the sessions, there's 500 campers there. And Sam Bowie had to pick five players to be on his team. And he picked me. I I was floating on cloud 10 for the rest of summer. I didn't deserve it. I definitely didn't earn it. And I wasn't even nearly the best player on the court. But I floated around for the rest of the summer because this All-American from Kentucky picked me to be on his team. Now, some of us know what it's like when someone chooses and picks us. We all know what it's like to not be chosen and to be forgotten. And right here, God is reminding Israel. He had it set on his heart to choose you. So before they go in for all these battles and all these wars and to have have all these temptations, because God knew, that the religions of the Canaanites would be a stronghold and a stumbling block and a thorn in the flesh for Israel. And he knew that they had to destroy everything. But God wanted to make it very clear to Israel. He says, before I knew you, I called you by name. And even here in verse 6, he says, for you are a holy people. Now, for a lot of us, when we hear that word holy, we think of don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do. We think of this huge list of do's and don'ts, but holy The essence of holy means set apart for something that is sacred. God has set his people apart. They are a holy people. And right here in verse six, you are a holy people belonging to the Lord, your God. And the Lord, your God, it's one of those huge terms. It's two titles of God. And it's one of the most personal titles of God throughout all the Old Testament. And God is reminding his people before they have to launch into this, into conquering the promised land. He's reminding them, "You are holy. You are set apart, and I'm the one, the Lord your God. I have set you apart. You are special." And look how he keeps going. He's going right here. He says, "Here he says, the Lord your God has chosen you to be His own possession." Now, I'll be honest. There are other translations that are way better than this one. Sorry. Some translations say "treasured possession." What is the most treasured possession? In your life,
1: how do you guard it? How do you take care of it? How do you use it? And
0: God is reminding the people of Israel they've been in the desert for 40 years, suffering. You are His treasured possession.
1: You're set apart, you're chosen, you're
0: His. It says in Isaiah 49, Isaiah is prophesying and it says that God has inscribed you, Israel. Some translations say he's tattooed us on the palm of his hands. Now, it's all figure of speech. But how often do you guys look at the palm of your hands? Think about it. How often do you look at your palms? A hundred times a day? Five hundred times a day, we could probably Google it. I'm sure Google has an answer. But think how often you look at your hands, and think about it. And this is Isaiah's prophesying this incredible, these incredible words of encouragement that God has inscribed us on the palm of His hand, very dear to the heart.
1: I'm sure you've read
0: the the song, the, you've read the poem, or heard the poem. Or someone asked Jesus, and this isn't found in scripture, but asked Jesus, how much do you love me? And he opened wide his arms and died on the cross. And he said this much. Right here, God is reminding the people of Israel who've been suffering for 40 years in the desert where they've gone through trials and tribulations, temptations, and a lot of loss. They're getting ready to go into battles, into war with more conflict and more loss with horrific religions that will be stumbling blocks for them. And he gives them, he gives them these very challenging commands to destroy everything. And yet he reminds them, you are mine and I've chosen you. You're my treasured possession. I love you. I've tattooed, on, I've tattooed you on the palm of my hands. You're my treasured possession, identity. When we know who we are and when we know who we belong to, and when we understand that we have a loving Heavenly Father who gave His one and only precious Son to die on the cross for our sins, and He's adopted us, when we know that, not just here, but here, when we fully grasp our identity
1: in Jesus, we can rest and we can obey. We don't obey God so that he forgives us. We don't obey God so that he blesses us. We obey God because we love him. And we love him because he first loved us. God continues here. In verse eight,
0: but because the Lord loved you and kept, oh man, my glasses, sorry. I'm 50 years old now, so I can't can't, can't read this stuff. Oh, this is better. I was wondering what was going on. Verse eight, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your fathers, he brought you out with a strong hand and he redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of the king of Egypt. He is reminding them what he did. It says in Psalm 150, verse 2, praise him for his great excellence. Praise him for his mighty works. Many of the songs that we sing, we're declaring what God has done for us. That is extremely biblical. We should never come together as a church for the sole purpose of, let's see what I get out of this. We come because he's worthy and we praise God for who he is and what he's done. And God right here is reminding Israel, he's like, remember what I've done for you. I've redeemed you from slavery, from slavery in Egypt with a mighty great hand. He continues here, verse 9, know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God. And Victoria, thank you for leading us with many of these songs of faithfulness. He is so faithful. He's constant and He's sure and He's secure. He is steady. He does not promise and then not fulfill. He does not waver and change His mind in deceit. He is faithful to the very end because He is good. The faithful God who keeps His gracious covenant Loyalty, Who? that's a big, long word. There are some words in Hebrews, in Hebrew, sorry, that you just can't translate to English. There's a phrase in Spanish that you really can't translate into English. No tengo ganas, Tengo ganas. It means I don't feel like it or I feel like it, but the word ganas, there's really a heart, like what it really means in Spanish, deep down in the gut, right, Jorge? I'm gonna put you on the spot. No tengo ganas. He says, sure. Did you hear it with confidence? No. <laughs> but in Mexico, that phrase, I don't feel like it. It just doesn't mean I don't feel like it. It means so much deeper than that. But we just really don't have a good phrase in English. God's gracious covenant loyalty is his faithful commitment promising to Israel that he will be their God and he will redeem them and he is forever faithful to his people and he will not break it. He is utterly, he is completely loyal and he's gracious and he's merciful and he sustains his people even when they're not faithful. In 2 Timothy chapter two, and you guys can look this chapter up later on, but in 2 Timothy chapter two, it's an ancient hymn that the early church would sing. And you'll probably see it in your English translations because it's written a little bit different, the format is. But it talks about Jesus being a descendant of David, sharing flesh and blood, and it goes on and on. But this verse really spoke to me this, to this week. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. You see, God is faithful to protect us, to sustain us. God is faithful to uphold us. God is faithful that even when we are tempted, he will provide a way out so that we can escape that temptation. God is faithful. We saw this a couple weeks ago in Thessalonians. God is faithful to sanctify us, our body, our, our soul, and our spirit. It is God who transforms us. It is God who sanctifies us. It is God who sets us apart. It is God who not only chose us, but he also adopted us. And then this declaration right here, it says, if we are faithless, who here is faithless? Oh, a bunch of liars in here. We all are. All of us are faithless. We don't measure up. We don't obey. We don't do what we know is right to do. The very thing we long to do, we don't do it. We are faithless. That's why we bow at the feet of Jesus and we worship him because he remains faithful. And he does not and cannot deny himself because God has committed himself to us And his guarantee stamp is the Holy Spirit who he's given us. And he proved it by shedding the precious blood of Jesus on the cross. God is always faithful to himself and to his people. Even when we are weak. Even when we sin. You see, Israel back here, they weren't faithful. But God was. Israel had broken all of God's commandments and yet God was faithful to lead them into the promised land. You see, scripture is very clear and we can go on and on right here in verse 10. It's, well, verse nine, it says, God, he is faithful, God. He keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commands. And then he says right here in verse 10, but he directly pays back and destroys those who hate him. He will not hesitate to pay back directly the one who hates him. When I read these verses, like it's very clear, there's consequences to our decisions. And God has given us everything. and
1: He demands complete loyalty, complete allegiance. He's worthy of it
0: but in our own strength, we can't give it to Him. We're too weak, broken, and fragile. We can't do it. So He sent Jesus to be one of us, to live just like you and me, but without sin. And then Jesus paid that price on the cross. He paid the price on the cross. And He fulfilled God's righteous requirements. So Jesus did it for us. Jesus filled all the requirements of the law
1: and then laid down his life and shed his precious blood
0: because we can't do it for ourselves. Everything written in the Old Testament, scripture says, is an example to us. And God knew that Israel was going to go into the promised land and they're going to be confronted with nations far more stronger. Far, that's terrible English. Stronger, mightier, more powerful wealthier and established than they were. Wicked to the core. So they are commanded to wipe out everything. And God knew that if they forgot their identity, if Israel forgot that they were the chosen people, God had set his heart and his love upon them. He was their God and that he was faithful. God knew that they needed to, tr- to understand completely their identity, who they are in him, all of this old testament is an example for us what does it mean for us first peter chapter 2 verse 9 the apostle peter this is what he says let's see if you recognize it from deuteronomy but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his possession this was written about 50 years after the life of jesus about 1400 years after what
1: Moses wrote. Sound like Deuteronomy? Absolutely.
0: But it's now applied to the church. We who love Jesus are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his possession. We are his and he loves it. We are his treasured possession so that we may proclaim his praises of the one who called you out of darkness and to his marvelous light. God called Israel out of, the, out of slavery in Egypt. God has called you and me out of slavery of sin. And he's made us a new creation. We are his precious, treasured possession. And he bought us with the precious blood of Jesus. Paul says something very similar in Romans. In Romans, Paul talks about this, Romans chapter 8. Look at what Paul says. He says, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So everyone who's put their faith in Jesus has the Holy Spirit in them. And we can call out to God, Abba, Father, Papi. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him, we will suffer in this life. Temptations, trials, tribulations, loss. Some of us really suffer from our past life. Sins we've done in the past and the memories bombard us now.
1: And Jesus wants you to know that you're
0: forgiven. The Father wants to scoop you up and hold you in His arms. He's tattooed you on the palm of His
1: hand. And He says, you're forgiven. You are His. There is no more shame. You're no longer a slave. There's no more shoulda, couldas, wouldas. There's no more condemnation. You are his because he loves you and he chose you. When we know who we are in Jesus, dearly beloved, his treasured possession, that will give us the strength, power, and confidence to walk humbly in his presence, to love and obey him. Do not forget who you are. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you are a child of the King of Kings, and he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And when he sees you, you are pure as gold. Because of the shed blood of Jesus that covers you always.
0: So be encouraged. Let's stand. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. Let's pray. Father, I I praise you because you love us more than we could possibly imagine. And Heavenly Father, just right now, everyone here, you know them better than they know themselves. And Lord Jesus, I know there are people here who are doing well. They're encouraged. They're filled with joy. They've had a great weekend. Father, I know there's others here that could care less what we've talked about today. And Father, I also know there are many here who are carrying burdens and they're worried, they're scared, they're angry, they're frustrated and discouraged, even beaten down.
1: Beaten down for what's in front of them, heavy laden for what's behind them. And Holy Spirit, I pray now
0: that with the precious balm of Gilead and the presence of Jesus that you would minister to each and every one of us now, that you would bring your healing and strength and comfort, even conviction, to those who are hard-hearted. And Father, for those who are pleading for mercy, may they hear your voice that your mercy is showered upon them. And I ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. As we worship, if you want or need prayer, I'll be standing just right down here. I'd love to pray with you. If you have just questions about scripture, about this topic, about baptism, just about who we are as a church, you can come over. Some of us will be over here at the Next Steps place. But we would love to worship and pray with you. So Let us say.